What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Top Bins Talk. I am your host, as always, Marcin Kazmarski, here with my co-host, Tim Kamaraj. Say what's up, Tim. Hey, everybody. Happy to be back. And we are back for another action-packed episode of Top Bins Talk. As always, we have a ton of uh, cool topics to kind of talk about and a couple of other uh, controversial ones that we're going to get into later on. Big in the controversies, podcast. big controversies. Yes, we have a lot of cool stuff going on. Obviously, we want to thank you guys for the awesome support you guys have been uh, throwing us uh, at the channel for our Spotify, for our iTunes. We obviously see all the views, uh, all the new followers that we're gaining. So we first off, and wanted from me and Tim both, we wanted to say thank you uh, for the awesome support, for all the listening and all the feedback that you've guys got given us over the last uh, nine months of podcasting. Yeah, and also all of the guests that we seem to be having on. Everybody's been everybody's been willing to come on, give us their time, and it's been really cool. It's been great to talk to people about football culture, everything, everything associated with the game. Exactly, and, and especially on that topic, if you guys do want to reach out to us, you can always ask either Tim or me, and we can kind of get you slotted in for a potential future episode. So if you ever want to jump on Top Bins Talk with us for a special episode, uh, feel free to reach out to either one of us at any time. But let's get back to the main issue at hand, and that's our episode. So let's start things off with a topic that's kind of obviously the only league that's been really uh, played so far in terms of football has been the Bundesliga. So there is a little bit of a not issue, but a little fun storyline kind of developing at the top of the Bundesliga table, and that is the Bayern BVB top of the table currently. So, Tim, what do you think so far about the title race that is happening in the Bundesliga? Well, I mean, you, you hate to see history repeat itself, but how many times have we watched where, you know, BVB makes a really good run, uh, Byron goes ahead and catches up to him, and and now Byron, you know, Byron are seven points ahead at the top of the league right now. I mean, how long, it really wasn't that long ago that we were looking at, uh, you know, talking about what if Red Bull Leipzig comes out of, uh, comes out of nowhere, uh, but they're even further from the top now. And uh, so, uh, real interesting development, uh, like I said, Byron coming away with a seven-point lead, uh, you know, is just incredible at this point. Uh, Dirk Klassiker, uh, I mean, did you? Were, what did you think of that? Uh, do you remember they had the handball in that game, and everybody was like losing their mind on Twitter? Yeah, uh, about Jeremy Boateng's uh, elbow kind of like grazing the ball on that on that uh, Holland shot. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, and I and uh, I, I accuse everybody else of losing their minds when I was the first one to go. How isn't that a handball? How are you going to have a, a not bring VAR in on a title deciding game? But uh, yeah, but essentially, uh, like I was saying, uh, history repeating itself. Uh, Bayern just can't be stopped. Uh, they're just popping in goals for fun. They're keeping clean sheets. They're doing really well uh, in the league. And BVB just kind of seems to be doing well with the restart, but I. I just don't know how they're going to look towards the end of the season. Uh, you know, it's 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 a little crazy at the top of that table right now, even within the top five positions, not even just the title race. Uh, top five really isn't spread out that that uh, drastically points wise. And uh, it's just going to get even more competitive towards these last five games. You know, honestly, I, I think that a lot of the Bayern doing successful thing, I wonder how much this would have changed if we didn't have this two month period of not playing. Because if you remember before the break, Lewandowski was supposed to be injured for two and a half months. 
He was supposed to miss miss about like seven or eight matches. And essentially he was about to miss pretty much the the back half of the season. Um, And with that two-month break, Lewandowski gets to return. He gets fully fit. He recovers in time for the restart. And he's popped in what four goals in the three matches since since they've been back, and he's and he's led obviously the front line and continued that hot form that he's had. So I'm not jumping on my Lewandowski high horse here like you like usual, but it, that is a huge talking point that this kind of two month period that we haven't had football has kind of benefited Bayern in the sense that their star their star nine their star forward has been able to recover and go back to the team, and that's what's I mean he's been a huge difference maker in the in the last three three uh, match days. Yeah, and in that time, on BVB's side, Marco Royce is hurt again. Yep, I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, he's 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 not uh, he's not well as as far as his physicality goes. And clearly, uh, Levy's been giving uh, Leon Goretzka his upper body regimen because, like, have you seen the weight this dude has put on? Like, what is going on here? Like, what is? Does everybody hit the gym there continually? Is that what happens? Everybody's a unit on that team. Yeah, Goretzka decided to hit the weight room, and then Kimmich decided to grow out a porn stash. <laughs> gotta love the porn stash, though. You gotta I'm give. Gla- I'm glad he shaved it, and then he scored that saucy chip. So hey, <laughs> more power to no mustache. Correlation does not mean causation. Again, I'm just throwing it out there for you. I'm, I'm gonna uh, say this one more time for everybody: if you don't have a mustache, you can you can score cheeky chips like Kimmich. Okay, but like, what about you know? We had James on the show. James is a goalkeeper. And he had he has a gnarly beard. That dude has he grows it out real well. So I mean, if he shaves, what is he just messy? Is that no, what happens? No, he, he's David de Gea and goal. Oh, okay, all right. We'll see how it goes. But uh, other controversy, however, uh, not exactly football related. Uh, in the Bundesliga, uh, there were uh, a couple of really strong stances uh, for the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, in the Bundesliga off of several players. And I know you have extensively looked into it. So I'm just going to actually throw this one your way. Uh, so, you know, just just go wild with it. Make sure everybody's filled in and knows what's going on. Sure. So if, if you watched, um, obviously, the news or anything anything news-related, even on Twitter, obviously there's, there's protests all around the world uh, in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement uh, stemming off of uh, the, the death of, of a black man a couple weeks ago. Uh, in the United States, so obviously that's all happening right now. Um, on that note, if you are protesting any, anything like that, please be safe out there and and stay protected and st- and stay stay safe. Obviously, that's that's the most important thing. Um, so obviously, with all this happening, there's uh, a lot of uh, higher up people in terms of celebrities and athletes are kind of like letting their stances be known. Uh, obviously, that kind of stems over into the world of football. So in the Bundesliga, since it's really the only league, like I mentioned before, that's really playing any games right now, there were a couple of players that really stood out and, and wanted to kind of show a message and kind of uh, showcase their their voice or their opinion on the matter. Um, you had Jaden Sancho, who had a shirt uh, underneath his, his training jersey that he kind of showed a message. Uh, you had Winston McKinney, who was obviously an American uh, U.S. national player, and he had an armband on for the match. Uh, you had Turam, uh, who who knelt after he scored a goal. Uh, I believe Hakimi also had an armband on that had a message. So that was that. Those are the kind of like the four main players that kind of stood out to me. That kind of had a message that I, at least that I've caught on to. Um, so what happened essentially after that is is this morning you had some news coming out that the German FA was looking into the actions of these four players because of the political stance or if they were showing a political stance. And they were essentially just looking into their actions to see if they were deemed 
um, political, because obviously if you don't know, then the rules, you can't have any kind of political stances or uh, sides being shown in um, your actions on the pitch or in terms of like your apparel or anything along those lines. Uh, if, you, if you kind of remember the situation with uh, Jordan Shakiri from a couple years ago in the Euros, he did the Albanian flag, uh, the Albanian eagle, sorry, um, gesture, and he was kind of heavily criticized and kind of probed into that. Um, so the same thing is obviously happening to these players now because of their stances on the whole uh, George Floyd kind of issue. Um, so like I mentioned before, the German FA is looking into it. They're, they're probing and they're kind of gathering some information. Um, and honestly, I, I obviously I hope that these players aren't charged with anything. Let's, at the end of the day, they're, they're standing up for what they believe in. They still have a voice that they want to kind of showcase their opinions. And I think that's obviously the right thing to do is, is you as a person and who's somebody who's affected by this whole issue – um, should have, be able to freely voice your opinion on it. Um, so like I said, the German FA is going to probe it. I, I don't think at the end of the day they're they're going to sanction or, or fine or suspend these players in any sort of way. I think the Bundesliga, since it's the only league right now that's being watched, I, I don't think they're going to want to risk scrutiny right now, especially during this time. So I think the Bundesliga is going to kind of uh, let this go and let these players kind of voice their opinions however they want on the pitch right now. So I, I, I really hope they, they end up doing that um, and, and not really um, having the right to really apprehend or, or do anything with these players in terms of their morals. I think that what they're doing is the right call. So I'm, I'm really pulling for the Bundesliga to just be like, hey, like you, you guys can do this. It's, it's fine. And we're not going to be suspending you or anything like that. Yeah. I, you know, as far as Bundesliga goes, um, you know, you got to give credit to Germany where it's due. Uh, Germany pretty frequently, I want to say, stays out of the limelight when it comes to uh, racial issues for players. I mean, obviously, we've had instances with bananas being thrown at Danny Alves and La Liga. We have the racial abuse that's been all too constant in CDR. Uh, even in the EPL, uh, there's been several racial incidents, and there probably are even more that just aren't being uh, brought to light. Uh, but, you know, and in France, you even had Danny Alves again, uh, saying that, you know, uh, life in Paris and not just in the league was was a little racially charged. Uh, so for what it's worth, Bundesliga has a reputation for being an, uh, rep a reasonably open-minded league. I don't see, like you were saying, I don't see anything positive that can come from them reprimanding any players. Um, just one minor correction on our part. Uh, I uh, For Akimi, it was actually, he also had a shirt on. Yeah, uh, that that's was what just I was. A, sorry, sorry. But yeah. yeah, as soon as I said armband, I was like, wait, he had a shirt on. <laughs> I was like, all right, yeah, yeah no, it, which is great. I mean, uh, and so again, yeah, just, just sharing the same opinion. I mean, uh, you know, we're, you know, just kind of speaking for both of us, you know, everybody has the right to express their opinion and, you know, limiting that is just, it's just not right from a humane, uh, from a humane standpoint. Uh, so, you know, we do hope, uh, both and just collectively as a, as an organization for the podcast that, uh, nothing happens to those players and that, you know, the German FA appeals to reason and, and understands the situation that's going on, not just, uh, in America and not just in Germany's perception of it, but across the world. Uh, you know, it's it's turned into a real, uh, you know, uh, sensitive subject, and as it should be, really. Yeah. So um, obviously, I, I think, like like you mentioned, there's there, there like you mentioned, I think you kind of put it perfectly. I don't think there's anything good that can come out of the Bundesliga doing anything to these players. I think they're going to come under fire a lot, and I think they would. I don't think they want to risk being the only league that's playing and then having so much kind of eyes in, in a negative sense beyond the league at that point. 
Um, so I think they're definitely going to steer clear of doing anything to these players, especially with these sensitive issues that we're kind of doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, and that is that was something that we both felt really strongly about. And we wanted to make sure that 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 was brought up uh, during this episode and that we addressed it in a positive light in this episode uh, on a, I guess, less serious kind of uh, more current news. Uh, we got a couple uh, shout outs that we want to give to some people that uh, we're pretty uh, close with that we care about dearly that uh, are seem to be succeeding pretty well. Uh, we have uh, Joe over at Since 1927 FC. They're a, uh, they're a brand out of uh, New York. Joe works with uh, pretty much predominantly Roma fans, uh, and he does some really great uh, Roma-inspired uh, designs. I'm I'm a big fan of his work. I bought pretty much everything his shop has to offer at this point. <laughs> so uh, give it back to the community, one dollar at a time. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we actually uh, we wanted to give Joe a shout, and, and since uh, 1927 FC a shout uh, because they came in at number 64 on Roma's top 100 Instagram accounts to follow, which is a really great accomplishment on their part. Uh, you know, he's he's put a lot of work into that. So before we even get to the account, like great job for him. But how awesome, like as much as I love any like football admin, Roma's fo- football admin doing like a top 100 Instagram <laughs> page is absolutely class. And I think it's such an awesome thing to do just to give like some Roma fans and some Roma accounts some like love and respect that they that they deserve. Like kudos to Roma admin or whoever came up with this like idea. Like I love it. Yeah, no, it, it's uh it kind of speaks to how that club is uh, is really fan driven. Like it's pa- like it's the passions there. Uh, so you know, aside from you know, aside from since 1927 FC, which if you you know if you want to go ahead and check them out, uh, that's actually I believe that is how they're added on Instagram since 1927 FC. Uh, and we also wanted to give a shout as well to uh, two friends of ours. Uh, with uh, James and Yaz, they just started their The Boot FC. So you might remember James from uh, our boot camp episode one. Uh, he is also known as the Boot Wizard. Uh, so uh, James went ahead with with another friend of ours and Yaz and, and uh, started The Boot FC. It is a cleat-specific podcast. It's all things uh, related to football boots uh, and some extensions as well. Uh, great guys. I would definitely recommend you give them a listen if you get a chance to. Uh, big fans of theirs. I uh, couldn't speak positively enough for them, but I'm really happy that they went ahead and started this. They're also really uh, active on YouTube. Uh, so we'll definitely, when we post this one on our Instagram, we'll be sharing a link uh, to their pages as well to uh, to get them moving as well. Cool. Yeah, and there's also, obviously, the the one and only Deadball UK that we obviously, as always, want to uh, shout out. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. So, Devil UK obviously is a is a company based out of uh, Liverpool in the UK, and we work with them in terms of just some design aspects and just going back and forth. They're a great bunch of guys. Uh, They're very much rooted in Serie A as they have a deep tradition of watching, for example, Fiorentina and Batistuta is a very big player that kind of influenced the whole. Uh, brand uh, make custom retro style t-shirts obviously me and tim obviously you've seen our hullet and baggio tees um so a lot of uh syria kind of 
prominence. And of course, they do have their EPL line with, especially since they're based out of Liverpool, a lot of LFC gear. Uh, so you have Bobby Firmino, you have the uh, um, Sadio Mane's, you have the Salah. So, so, and obviously the cool thing though, and I think it's the thing that me and Tim like the most about dead balls, you can kind of uh, send them an idea and they'll create a one-off custom t-shirt for you. So if you want a t-shirt with Daniela De Rossi, for example, or Pavel Nedved, or uh, Gigi Buffon or any other player, you can send them a design and a photo and they'll try to make a t-shirt happen for you. So um, great guys at Deadball, and obviously we, we, we're really excited to continue working with them and, and we have some fun stuff planned with them up, moving up ahead. Yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, what other clothing brand do you know that? Let's just say, yeah, why don't you go ahead and send us a design and, and we'll make it happen. Like that's that's so cool. Like, <laughs> that's, like There's no other way that you could phrase that. Like uh, good guys over there. Um, but speaking of continuing this news, uh, this news trend, uh, almost as if we're just our own news channel here, I guess, uh, of sorts, but, uh, TBT news coming live. News. <laughs> back to you, Marcin. No. Uh, so we have our transition to league openings. So that's a really big topic right now. We have three, uh, top leagues, uh, in the premier league, uh, Serie and La Liga announcing their return dates. Uh, I have them right here. We have La Liga returning June 11th. We have the Premier League returning June 17th. And we have Serie A returning June 20th. Uh, so big news all around that we're getting those three leagues resuming, considering it is now evident that La Liga, or I'm sorry, uh, Ligue 1 are the only top five league that decided to call their season early after everything that we talked about. Mm-hmm. So that, that was definitely an interesting move on the French. I think there was somebody from the league administration or somebody in the government that I read from France that said that they thought that the league was uh, canceled a little bit prematurely. So there was somebody that, like I said, I don't remember who the exact person was, whether they were French government or somebody in the, in the uh, league on FA. Um, But they said that they thought that the league was closed uh, a little bit early. So We'll see if this kind of come back comes back to kind of bite them in the butt. Um, obviously, since they're the only one that are, that are closed and won't be reopening with all the other leagues now kind of setting dates. Um, what's more interesting is what's going to obviously happen with the UCL when it comes to the French teams because they're still obviously involved. You have PSG and Lyon um, who still have around who have still matches to play. So we'll obviously, we're we're going to keep an eye on that. And that's going to be something we'll talk about later. Um, but yeah, so we're going to see what the French decide to do. Um, uh, obviously, they, I don't think they can recall the league and, and bring it back. I think <laughs> no, I, would, I don't think so. I, would, I think that would look really bad. Um, so I don't no think that's backsies. <laughs> yeah, no backsies for Ligue 1. Sorry. PSG are your champions. We've already crowned them. Um, but yeah, obviously, we're excited to watch a little bit more uh, football from La Liga. So you have the title race there between... Obviously, it's, it's kind of basically down to Barca or, or Real Madrid. Um, and the big, obviously, talking point there is who is going to win out La Liga? Who's in a better spot right now coming back from this kind of two-month break that these clubs have had uh, and, and challenge for the title? Will it be Barca retaining the title or, or will Real Madrid um, kind of swoop in? And that's going to be a, a really big talking point. So I want to ask you, who do you think will win La Liga this year? Who do I think? Uh, Mm -hmm. So I have to go with Barcelona on this one. And the reason being is that Messi is a little older now. And Messi had a lot of miles on his legs this season. And getting a what is effectively at least a month break here uh, from from the tedious schedule that he was on. uh, I know they all kept up as much as they could with their own fitness. 
Uh, but Messi having an opportunity to recharge his battery. I mean, he's he's the bread and butter of that team. There's no arguing it. You know, he he's the reason. He's the he's what makes that team tick. Uh, so letting him recharge, letting him get healthy uh, is huge. I know that uh, you know they also have uh, several other players that are coming back uh, from just kind of like you know nagging injuries, just uh, you know just things that were really clunk, uh, holding them back. So I think this was a really good uh, opportunity for Barca to, to reestablish. Uh, you know their their dominance in the in the league. Uh, you know if you look at their schedule when they come back, they have uh, Mallorca is next, uh, which is no disrespect to Mallorca, but they're not really uh, a challenging team to face off against. And when you look at the rest of their season, I mean, as far as really tough games that they have to look at, their toughest one is is more than likely going to be uh, their game against Atletico because aside from that, they have a couple like they have Sevilla. Uh, they have Bilbao, but they don't really have like anybody, anybody that's really going to push them over the edge. Uh, whereas, you know, despite uh, Madrid having uh, also an easy schedule, you still have to look at that, uh, look at that point advantage that uh, Barca have because they are not going to be dropping teams uh, points against smaller teams uh, for the rest of this season, the way I see it. So I'm going to go the exact opposite. I think Real Madrid are going to win out the season. And I think it's based on kind of exactly what you just said, an easy schedule because Real Madrid don't play anybody worth really mentioning in on, on the rest of the season. So you have the next game back is Ibar. Then they have Valencia at home. And then, then, then they play uh, Sociedad, which is obviously in the uh, top or half of the table. They're currently fourth. And that's really, that's really their challenging schedule is, is that Sociedad game. Um, that's really it. And they play seventh. And then every other one of their opponents is bottom half of the table. So I yeah, think but so going I, away to athletic club is tough. Like that's not going away to Bilbao is not an easy trip. <laughs> yeah, but Bilbao are, are are 10th in the table. They've scored less, less goals almost uh, than they've played matches. Like they, they're not an <laughs> offensive side. So I don't, and, and with Real Madrid having the best defense by far uh, in La Liga this year, I, I don't think that, that athletic will kind of challenge that goal. So I think it's just a, it's, it's just a, an inevitable Real Madrid goal that will win that game. All right. So you think Zizo is going to get his, uh, get his La Liga championship. Is that what you think? think so. Yeah. I just, I just see like such an easy schedule. Like I said, besides the Sociedad and Valencia games, which are a little suspect, um, but even still Real Madrid plays Valencia at home, which is a huge advantage, obviously for them. Like I said, the one big sticking point for this, for this schedule going down the stretch for Madrid will be that away trip to Sociedad. I think that's going to be a tricky, uh, a tricky match to obviously to play. If they can get through that one and get the three points in that game, I think the titles is going to be obviously it's going to come down to the wire. But I think Real Madrid are going to sneak it out this year. Just, just my, just my hunch. That's a hot take. That's a hot that's take a hot if take. I've ever heard one. Uh, so take. obviously you're calling then for Liverpool not to win. The Premier League, right? Like you just don't think that's going to happen, or? Yeah, uh, Liverpool are going to lose every match for the remainder of the season, and, and then go back in time and lose more matches. <laughs> yes, and then and then they're going to go back in time and never win any of the Champions League that they won last year. Um, <laughs> yeah, so obviously, yeah. So the EPL, let's let's kind of move shift it over to that that league real quick. Yeah. Uh, EPL table, yeah, we obviously know that Liverpool are obviously going to win the title. It's, it's inevitable whether that happens in one or two games or however long it takes for them to be officially crowned as champions. 
Um, that's what's going to happen. Obviously, the I think the more interesting race is what's going to happen with the rest of the Champions League spots. I think obviously Man City are are are, are pretty good team, and I think they're uh, they have that second spot kind of locked down to themselves. Even though there's a four point gap with Leicester right now with a with a game in hand, um, so I, I think Man City have the second spot kind of wrapped up. But those last two Champions League spots aren't as wrapped up as possible. So you still have Leicester, um, you have Chelsea, you have Man United, you have Wolves, you have even. <laughs> Funny enough to say, you have Sheffield United. I know. I'm so, I'm rooting for them so bad. <laughs> I know. Imagine if Sheffield United made it to the Champions League this year. That that would be like the Leicester City story from when they won the uh, the, the title a couple years ago. I so mean, it's not exact. I get what you're saying, but it's not winning I, the title. I, I know it's not winning the title, but who would have thought that Sheffield United at this point, after 28 rounds, would be seventh and have a better, not only better record, but be in a higher position than Tottenham and Arsenal. Nobody. I don't know. I mean, I Sheffield United is a great organized side. Uh, Wolves, I Wolves, I think. I mean, Wolves are a great side. I think they're. I mean, they're basically the Portugal B team. Like, they're like yeah, they're, well, uh, they're with pretty, half of the Portuguese national team. So it's like a A B team. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, maybe they'll see their way into. Oh God! Champions stop League with spot. the dead jokes. <laughs> Dad joke locked and loaded, ready oh, to go. I knew there was one coming at some <laughs> point on this podcast, but I didn't think it was coming. You there. love them. They make your day. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really okay. Uh, so, yeah, I, I have to say the same. It's really the interesting piece is the fact that, you know, from actually, uh, uh, let's say from third down to seventh, there's only a 10-point difference, which, I mean, there's still a good amount of games to be played since they're resuming this season. So, uh, you know, 10 games to be played is, is a pretty big deal. So that's going to shift all over the place. I do see Liverpool as locking that title in uh, within the next couple games. There's no way that they're not going to come in refreshed and ready to move. And they need two wins. So, I mean, they need two wins out of nine games. I think that title is pretty much as good as done there. Um, yeah. I think Chelsea are going to be the most kind of like sweating it out team out of the top four. I think Leicester, I think even though obviously we're coming back, I think the quality of that team is there. You have Ndidi, you have Vardy. You, that, that team's got the the, the defensive unity and the, and the attack that they need to kind of see out another season and, and get into the Champions League for next year. Um, but yeah, Chelsea is still obviously unproven. You have Lampard who's in his first year. You have a, a lot of young guys in that team. And you have Man United, you have Wolves, and you have, like I said, funny enough as it is, Sheffield kind of breathing down their neck all within <laughs> five points. And Sheffield have a game uh, like they need to make up. So that that gap can be dropped to two points. So imagine yeah. if Sheffield win, and that's a two-point gap between them and Champions League. That's that's going to be a fun title race, like Champions League race. I'm sorry. Yeah, I I mean, just to, just to even throw it out there, it really, uh, it really makes like a for a great storyline to have the pedigree youth of Chelsea being pursued by just like the blue collar working hard playing style of Sheffield United. Uh, you know, it's, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like Sheffield is hoofing a long ball up every, every five minutes they're playing good football, but like at the same time, you know, you're there's uh there's the standard right now that, you know, you look at Chelsea, even though they're playing a bunch of youth players uh, you know, there's a higher pedigree and a, and a bigger academy coming through there than there is at Sheffield. Um, so definitely, I agree with you. Uh, a big deal when it comes to uh, the EPL. I, I do want to throw out there that I really hope 
I do, I'm partial to Norwich City for some reason. I think they're like a fun side to watch. Uh, they, you know, they've gone pretty downhill. They just can't seem to pull results out. I don't see them as coming out of the relegation fight, but if at some capacity they're able to for one reason or another, I'm just saying I wouldn't be upset about it. Okay. I, I think the team that I like in terms of, or I kind of expect better things moving forward that I think is that is Everton at 12. I think with obviously Ancelotti getting more time with his players and him kind of having some more time with that team, I think that's a, a cool team to kind of watch and see what uh, happens with them with, with the restart in terms of progress with the new manager. So I'm, I'm going to keep uh, definitely a close eye on Everton. That's kind of like my little secret squad that I'm going to watch. Uh, also, obviously, because Moise Keane plays there. So I was going to say. Little, say. little sneaky eyeball over there just to see how he's doing. Um, yeah, so, who doesn't yeah. like that kid? He's awesome. Like, he's that, <laughs> kid, that kid's fun. So, obviously, you like him because he's best buds with your buddy, Zaniolo. He is. But, at, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, if you're – I have to ask, you know, if you're his, uh, if you're his agent, are you gunning him for a move to, to Roma? Or are you trying to get him established at Everton? Because – he wants to come to Roma, I know not everybody's on board Roma fan wise, but I would love to see him in the shirt personally. Yeah, so um, Moise Kane was what was the rumored figure on 30 million for something around that, yeah. So, uh, yeah, 30 mil for Moise Kane back from uh, from Everton to Roma. I mean, it, it kind of boils down to a couple things at the end of the day, yeah. Like, is Ancelotti gonna give him the kind of like time and the, the like the time on the pitch essentially is what I'm trying to say. And the minutes in, in game to kind of make himself like felt into that squad and kind of see some results and see some goals and some better performances. Or is he going to want to go back to Italy and kind of play with one of his buddies? So, I mean, at the end of the day, I think if he has an opportunity to go to Roma, I think he'll take it just because, let's be honest, I think Roma are in a better position currently than Everton are. So I, I see them being obviously a little bit higher up the table. And I see the progress that Everton can, uh, that ever that's that Roma can make with his addition, with obviously him playing with Zaniolo and him having. I think that chemistry is going to be instant. That's that's a huge thing when you're joining a new club is is having that instant chemistry with a, with a fellow teammate, especially considering he's played with a bunch of them at, in the national team and the youth youth team level. Um, so I think that's that'd be a, a good move for him. Obviously, I wish he never left Juve in the first place. So <laughs> that's that's just my obviously that's biased opinion there, but. Uh, yeah, I would uh, him and Romo. I think it would be a successful move. I think that's a that's a good club that kind of like likes to nurture their young talent and give those young kids a chance to play. So I think a move to Roma would would make sense. I don't know sense. about nurturing talent. I not saying nurturing talent, the but they, could they be really aggressive sometimes. On, <laughs> they rely more on younger players. At, at least that's, that's what it seems right now. They rely more on younger players than. Uh, so I think Moise Keane would get more minutes or more game time at playing for Roma right now. That's fair. So speaking of Italians, let's bring it full circle. CDA, June 20th, we're back in business. So we're back obviously in business. So this title race is probably the, I'd say the most interesting, obviously for us, just because we're Serie A fans. So this is obviously the league we watch. Um, a lot more games we left played here, I think, than anybody anywhere else. So yeah, Serie A has the most games to make up. We have, I think, 12 to 13 rounds to make up. Uh, while everybody else is about eight or nine, and the Bundesliga as little as five. Um, so the most football is going to be played by the Italians coming up in the next few months. Um, and yeah, definitely, I think this is going to work out in Juve's favor, playing every three games. I think they have the deepest squad. And like, like all bias aside, like take out my, my Juve fandom right now and, and put it somewhere else. 
I, I think Juve are in, a, are in the best position right now to kind of wrap up this title. I know they have Lazio kind of breathing down their neck and, and they're raring to go and ready to go. But when you're playing games every three days, like depth and and those kind of like squad players and those rotation players are going to be very key. And l- let's be honest here, Juve's squad players are, are Douglas Costa, like at that level. They, they have <laughs> yeah. Bernadeschi, Bernadeschi doesn't start for the team. Pjanic didn't even start for the last like few games before the break. Um, so you have very high quality players that can rotate in for Juve and, and, and get minutes and, and get game time. Well, at Lazio, let's be honest, it's it's not that same level. Um, so I just think that's where they're going to fall short is once we start getting into like two, three, four rounds in, I think you're going to see Lazio start losing, start dropping a few points here and there. Yeah, I was I was going to say, if if you look at uh, if you look at the title race right now, uh, just on a strictly financial and and player standpoint, again, all bias aside, uh, Juventus is is almost like uh, a sports car running this race. Uh, is almost like uh, like a Ferrari of some of some kind, uh, and Lazio is kind of like uh, is like a like a Fiat. No, 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 no. Don't no, not, not like to, a Fiat. No, not like a Fiat. No, I would say there's like there's sports car you could get like a hold of. You know, like they're not like you know they're they're nothing insane, but they have like a professional driver behind the wheel. You know, they have so it's, so it's who's... like so it's like a Porsche 911 versus like a Mazda like Miata. With with like Jeff Gordon behind the wheel <laughs> or something like that, like in his prime. With like, with Lewis ha- with Lewis Hamilton behind the wheel. Sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> the point is that an experienced hand is guiding these guys, but there's only so much that you're going to redline to keep up with something that's built uh, to achieve that goal, uh, because that's that's where Juventus are at this point. Um, you know, they're the real, first. Real club. quick, real quick, before we get into this, let's let's just segue this into our new adventure, our card themed podcast. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> We're doing it all. We're covering all the bases now. But uh, so the uh, you know, so the point that I'm making here is that uh, it's not the fact that you it's not Juventus that uh, that are winning this title. It's the fact that it's a club that's built to win the title. So it's not the name that's winning the title. It's the fact that there's a there's you know, uh, this club that's modernized themselves. So uh, that's that's really my take on it is, is I think, you know, if, if CDR wants to maintain uh, competition, uh, the top uh, the top teams are really going to have to modernize themselves and, and uh, advance going forward. Well, speaking of modernization and things along that nature, we obviously have obviously some huge news. Ooh, tell me about that. The huge news when it comes to Syria. So you have uh, Hellas Verona decided to modernize, modernize. Geez, I can't speak today. Um, their logo. So it went along the same route as Juve. A lot of obviously sleek angular angular lines. Uh, if you want to obviously take a look at the logo, feel free to just Google it. And I'm sure there's a ton of news sites that are showing the photo of the new logo. Uh, but yeah, so Verona decided to kind of go a, the same route as Juve and kind of update their logo a little bit. Uh, I'm sure their fans are very split about it, just like UA fans were at the beginning. A lot of fans didn't like the the, the modern look, uh, and now to this day, it's become a lot more acceptable over time. Um, so I'm sure the same thing will happen with Verona fans. They're going to protest the the logo and be like, "Hey, we don't want this. We want to go back to our, our roots of, of the club." But I think after like a year or two, you're going to see um, it's more accepted and more liked by the fans. Uh, and obviously, this kind of brings us to the. So the question is, what what has to happen in Serie A for all these clubs to kind of catch up to Juve? Do they have to 
obviously modernize themselves as a club in general. It's not just really about logos, but I think it's in Syria, the main teams that kind of want to keep up with Juve, let's kind of like list them. It's essentially the top seven, if you look at it right now, Milan, Napoli, Roma, Atalanta, Lazio, and Merida. Um, so, yeah, you know what I'm going to say. Like, I can't, yeah, you, you know what I'm going to say. Milan, Inter Milan. Okay, you can say it. I'm not going to say it, but whatever. Um, so, yeah, I if think... If I say it three times fast, does Conte pop up behind me and slap me? That would be terrifying. I would I would never wish that upon anybody. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so the clubs, obviously, I think those seven, those six clubs, excuse me, um, definitely need to kind of update themselves, whether it's not saying do exactly as Juve did, but kind of, yeah, in the, in the light as... Um, like you have to own your own stadium, like new grounds, like updated, like training grounds, like all these things kind of influence yourself as a club in terms of bringing in new talent and bringing in bigger and bigger players. And obviously bigger players means more sponsorship money, which means more money for transfers, which include has essentially what Juve have done over the last decade is kind of position themselves to become one of the top 10 like most earned clubs in the world right now. I don't I don't know exactly where they are in terms of revenue, but I know they're in the top 10. So, I mean, it's it's a far cry. I think I saw a statistic that showed that Juve like made I think in like 2009 like 200 and like 30 million euro over the course of the year, and I think like last or like two or th- like a last year or two years ago they made like more than double that. So you're you're doubling your your club's revenue in, in a couple years span. I mean that's that's gonna set you up for success moving forward. And I think that's a that's definitely a model that some of these bigger uh, Serie A sides are gonna want to follow to kind of catch up or try to close the gap between Juve. Yeah, I it used to be you know it used to be the extent of changing your club was putting a new coach in charge and signing like one or two key players and that was like that was remodeling your club really uh but now with you know the amount of media that's involved in football and the amount of uh you know shirt sales and you know and all this hype that you could generate in all different kinds of ways for your club even you know looking at Juve and and some of the crossover work that they've done with certain clothing brands uh you know that's it that's another example right there uh it would be uh you know it would be a far cry to say that any other club is going to be able to modernize themselves without running a similar route. You know, I'd love to see, and and Roma does a good job staying involved social media wise, but I'd love to see us modernize as a club in general. I will say that uh, the harder part, because you have to remember CDA for a long time was the league, right? Like, you know, like uh, EPL. Yeah. Nineties, early two thousands. Like you couldn't touch the uh, CDA. Yeah, it, was, it had an identity. It was, you know, it was competition was fierce, um, you know, and it, it's kind of lost its way a little bit. And if the way that it's going to move forward is by modernizing, then personally speaking, I think the Italian FA needs to put their money where their mouth is. Right. They wanted to restart this league so badly because they needed football to happen. Well, if you need football to happen, loosen up some of the restrictions that you're putting in. God knows how long Roma has been trying to get. Uh, you know, into their new stadium, and they can't do so because of all the red tape that's being thrown around. You know, if you're going to argue that football is so necessary, back it up, put something behind it, make some moves to help other clubs, uh, clubs rather, get to that level uh, of being modernized and being ready for the new game. Yeah, so you you had a couple, obviously, examples of that. You had Atalanta, uh, I think they renovated part of their stadium with some new added seats and, and things along that nature. 
you had, I, I think recently in the news, I think it became official that Milan and Merida were going to have a new joint stadium. So the San Siro was, I think, going to be torn down, if I remember the news correctly. And the new, like uh, I think, like 250 million euro stadium was going to be built in its place. So, I mean, that's that's the step in the right direction for those two clubs who obviously have shared a stadium for so long. Uh, obviously, the San Siro is iconic, but I think it is time to kind of... Um, like, like, kind of to your point, to modernize this, the league in general because that's what's going to bring in those those TV dollars. And those TV dollars is what's going to drive these clubs, obviously, to push more for transfers and and want even more TV dollars. And that's, that's it's like a vicious cycle. You get more eyes on the league, then you have more money, and you have more money to spend on players, which improves the quality of the teams in general. Uh, and that's obviously the end goal. You want every you want a competitive league, and that's that's what's going to take. If it's going to take changing some a few logos and allowing some teams to build some new stadiums and and update them. I know Napoli had so many issues for so long just just renovating some seats in their stadium. I mean that that place, like no offense, like rivalry aside, is probably the worst pitch, like worst grounds in 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 the league. Like that thing looks terrible. It looks like it's going to collapse at any moment. So I mean, like they need a stadium badly. Like but but what's like why is it being stopped like why are like like to your point why is there so much red tape in in terms of stopping this stadium from being built which is going to improve your league like why why is there so much issues with it um obviously i, I don't have all the answers i i'm there may be something that i'm overlooking you're not all knowing is that what you're yeah, I'm not all knowing like i, I know everything <laughs> about like Lewandowski, and so that's that's like because he's my guy well and well let me ask you well let me ask else. you what do you know about our guy here, Tonali. I think that Tonali would be better off at Juve. Okay, so there's obviously a little bit of a debate going on within CDA fans. Uh, Tonali is obviously one of the hottest Italian uh, talents uh, right now on display, and with Brescia not looking too good in the league, uh, there's rumors that he could even go for 20, 25 mil, somewhere around there. Uh, maybe even less considering how, you know, depending on how things go. Uh, but people have basically boiled it down to saying, look, if he goes to, he's either going one or two places, he's either going to Juve or he's going to Inter. So well, well, it's not even people. It's it's the owner of, of Brescia. So the owner of Brescia said that Tonali prefers either Inter or Juve. So, oh, I said it. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. He prefers Merda or Juve. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going so, to adjust it. So now uh, uh, I will, you know, this is, your team is involved here, so it's only fair that you go first. Um, make the argument for him to go to Juve, please. So right. he, here's the thing. So him going to Juve, I think, would be more beneficial for his career long term. So not only will he get to play with, let, let's let's be honest, I think squad versus squad, I think Juve have the better team overall. You have you have guys that have done it all and kind of kind of won almost everything that they possibly could, like Cristiano Ronaldo. You have Chiellini, you have Bonucci, you have uh, Buffon and Goal. You have that veteran leadership that can kind of teach him those qualities that he needs to kind of excel and and make him that leader of the future for for not only the national team but also at Juve if he joined the club. And two, he would get up as as much as it's it's gonna be a little bit crazy to say he'll get a lot of playing time in that midfield Juve's mid isn't like overly a hundred percent stacked in each single position like there's in the sense that there's nobody that's really a guaranteed starter week in and week out I think Ben Zancourt really made one of his one of those midfield three spots his uh, before we kind of break uh, broke for the coronavirus 
Um, but those other two spots are kind of really up in the air. And I think he'd get a lot of playing time, contrary to what a lot of people believe, him coming going to a bigger club at, at 19-20 and not playing. And I, I just think that Juve are better set up long-term to win more trophies and to compete for the Champions League and, and for the, continue the streak of, of consecutive Serie A wins. And I think at the end of the day, that's what it, it's going to boil down to. Yes, I know you have, you. I'm, I'm sure the other squad, uh, whose name shall not be named, um, have, have their positives, but at the end of the day, players want trophies. Players want to win, and I think Juve gave him a better opportunity to do that, um, not only now, but long-term. Okay, well, let me throw a couple counterpoints back at you for this one. Sure. So a couple counterpoints is Inter, he gets to work under Conte, which is a really big deal. Casari doesn't really have uh, the best reputation as far as the coach goes. Personally, I have nothing wrong with the guy. Uh, I think he's all right. Uh, but as far as fans go, we both know that uh, Conte, uh, even though he can get a little stir-crazy sometimes, as we have said before, Conte going to Conte. Uh, so, you know, with that, uh, he's also looking at a younger squad, all right? Like, you know, I know you have uh, Matthias Delict and, uh, and Dybala, who are going to be, you know, pretty consistent going forward leaders for that team. And he could really find himself in the spine of, of Juve right now if he heads over there. Uh, but in the same light, if he goes over to uh, to Inter, he's looking at a midfield where he's going to be able to share it with uh, Senti Barella. He's going to be, you know, his positioning is one of his strong suits. And working under a manager who uh, values positioning and work ethic, I think he could really succeed at that team. Uh, you know, one thing I also think you might not be considering is... Uh, Inter have a pretty young squad, all things considered. Rome is there permanently. Uh, you know, Lutaro is being linked to every club under the sun because he's a good player. Uh, but, you know, you also have, like I said before, uh, Borella. You have Sensi, who is doing really well. Uh, they're, you know, besides Godin, you know, Stefan de Vrij is, 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 pretty, is pretty young. Uh, Skriniar is, you know, his heart is with that club. So they also have a pretty strong spine as far as, uh, you know, as teams go. So personally speaking, I think he's spoiled for choice between the two clubs. But for me, being able to work on the Conte uh, and somebody who uh, I want to say gets the most out of mo- like every player that he that he coaches uh, for a young player would be a better opportunity than him working on their Saudi uh, just based off of that alone. Yeah, but I, I think the the veteran leadership in that squad in, in the Juve squad kind of makes up for yeah you have a, a coach whose pedigree is, is arguably better in, in Antonio Conte, um, but at the same time I, you also look at the play styles of, of both squads. Where is he going to excel more? I think he's going to excel more in an offensive based passing system where the offense is going to more or less flow through him, and that's what he's. I think he's going to get at Juve. Obviously, we know, all know that Conte plays the 3-5-2. It's, it's, it's a known thing of his. And he, his style, let's be honest, is a little bit more defensive, kind of like traditional Italian-based defense style. Um, so I think from that aspect of it, I think he'd actually be more successful working under Saudi because he'd get a chance to play further up the pitch most likely and have more time with the ball at his feet and kind of dictate um, that offense and, and kind of set the tempo for Ronaldo or whoever else is the new, who's the new number nine for Juve going to be. Um, I, I think just, you have, you're, like you said, he's spoiled for choice at this point, though. Yeah, absolutely. So and speaking in tactics, you know, we've established that. But speaking in tactics, there's something that we were actually talking about 
Um, you know, we both saw that uh, Mario Goetze, scorer of a World Cup winning goal, uh, is going to be out of contract in his late 20s uh, over at BVB. Uh, and it kind of got us to discussing that the reason behind that isn't necessarily that he's not a good player anymore, uh, which some people seem to all of a sudden believe that he is just the worst player in the world, that I just don't understand that. He's still technically a really gifted player. Uh, but in all actuality, we were kind of discussing that he's fallen victim to the uh, cease of the 10 role being predominant anymore. Uh, the 10 role seems to the playmaker, uh, you know, role sitting behind the striker seems to have uh, gone away, seems to not be a, uh, a popular feature in tactics anymore. Yeah, so for our Italian listeners, if there are any, it's the trequartista role. So that's what we're kind of referencing towards. So yes, the, the, the 10 role. So essentially, if you think about uh, the easiest way I can kind of explain it, and I'll, I'll use some kind of FIFA terminology just to kind of make things very easy. It's essentially the 4-3-1-2 formation, if you think about it, with that one being the 10 roll. That's the, that's the position that's played right behind the two forwards, and that's that 10 roll. So that's become, I think, a position that's not really used anymore um, in the sport, kind of like to your point. Um, just because I think we've moved away from that formation, which is which was very popular back in the day. And I think a lot of teams are running like these like hybrid like four three three kind of formations with three up top, three in the mid, and then four uh, through the back line. Um, so I, I think that's what what the big thing is now. I think we're, we've seen a shift with in terms of tactics from a formational standpoint, and it's kind of really negated the let's call it need for that for that ten role. I mean, we we've seen it at Juve. I mean, Dybala is a perfect example. He he'd be a perfect number ten. But Juve haven't really played with that kind of need for that kind of position for a while now. So it's been a very big talking point, at least among Juve fans, is where where exactly does he fit in? Because he's he's perfectly suited to play that that ten role. Like he wears the number, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> so like like that's that's a big issue. Like where does he play? And it, it's kind of down to the fact that well, like. You, you don't like that formation is not really used anymore. And I think the perfect example for at least the Juve fans that are listening that I can kind of tell you is if you guys remember a Brazilian uh, player called Diego that he came to Juve, I think it was from either Werder Bremen or Wolfsburg. I don't remember the club exactly. This was like in the, in obviously the post Calciopoli days. And that guy played that perfect 10 role. And he came to Juve and he played in a 4 4 2 formation with, as a regular central midfielder. So what happens when you take uh, an attacking midfielder that's used to playing behind two strikers and you put him into a midfield four where he's playing as a regular center mid, he, he's going to falter and he got sold within a season. So, I mean, that's that's like a perfect example, I can say, of, of, a, of a formation and a style of play that's really not used anymore today. Yeah, so, in, uh, so for anybody who might be listening for, you know, uh, a short amount of time, I, uh, you know, I do coach and I do study tactics a lot. And one of the things that you find is that we, you know, we as a as a soccer community spend a lot of time speaking about uh, holding midfielders and their importance and protecting the back four. Well, the reality is that uh, a lot of times, and you know, you mentioned having one a ten sitting in behind two forwards, uh, but even when you look at it from uh, anybody who understands tactics, a, a four-two-three-one perspective, where you have that one attacking mid sitting in the middle, you know, the issue that runs in is a lot of times you're, you're 
wingers end up bombing forward because they want to join this attack. And then the, the problem that ends up happening is if you lose possession at that point, uh, if the other team is playing with uh, either one holding midfielder or two on a pivot, what ends up happening is that that 10 player now becomes a liability because if they're out of position, there's a numerical advantage for the other team in the midfield and they push forward, all it takes is a couple passes and they have a shot on your net. So, you know, with, for anybody that followed that, uh, it was it was a case of, you know, you look at guys uh, as well. Uh, Mesut Ozil uh, is another famous example of somebody that really got uh, shortchanged by the fact that, you know, teams are now looking at more of a 4-3-3 role and you're expected to be, you know, a hustling midfielder now. Uh, I jokingly always say there's no such thing as a center attacking mid. You're either a lazy center mid or a slow center forward. So there's like, there's no... It's the perfect way to describe it. <laughs> there's no there's no center attacking mid position. You're either a failed striker or a failed midfielder and you, and you landed somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, anybody wants to get sensitive, you could say the same thing about an outside back. You're either a failed winker, winger like uh, Cadrado or you're a failed center back. Uh, like Gary Neville. Uh, so no, but <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, you know, with those tactics in mind, you have a lot of guys that got shortchanged uh, because of those tactics. Uh, and and go to you know he's he's easily an example of that. Uh, BVB puts him out on the on uh, the wide sometimes, but you know that doesn't really work for him anymore. But the real point that uh, needs to be made when it comes to the ten rule pretty much dying out is that the reason the ten rule has died out is because if you're playing somebody else and they're playing two holding midfielders, one of them easily man marks your your number 10, and now all of a sudden your system has a fatal flaw in it. Uh, so more often than not, the 10s get moved that wide now. So uh, the reason that that has also died out is because the game is played with a ton of pace now. So mm -hmm. if you have a, a 10 who's too slow to be a forward and you stick them out wide, well, that's great. You know, when you're playing a possession-based buildup, you can use them there. Uh, but when you're, you know, when you're really trying to build the game up uh, or rather hit them on the break, uh, it's not going to work out for you. You know, same thing happens with Ozil. He slows down the counterattack for Arsenal. It's unfortunate, and, but it's true. And, and it's exactly the same reason why the traditional poacher number nine is not really a thing in football nowadays either. You're starting to see more and more teams moving away from this kind of like hold it up kind of striker role. Kind of like exactly to your point, there's so much more reliance on on pace and agility and and quick movements that these kind of guys, like for example, like a Luca Tony from from back in the day, they're yeah. not really like these like kind of like just throw it up to him and see if he can head the ball in. Like that that really doesn't work in today's game, and a lot of coaches are realizing that. And like like sad to be say, but like players like Higuain or for, for example are like starting to get like. A little bit more phased out and it's it's kind of like along the same lines as, as that traditional 10 roll um you're starting to see a movement away from that that kind of need for that kind of position in the sport yeah absolutely you know and uh maybe that's why he's so mad all the time but i don't know maybe because he knows he's getting because he knows his role is doesn't exist anymore <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah i mean you you gotta love a good goal poacher though still uh still gotta love that yeah, because uh, they come far and few in between nowadays. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Well, I think now, I think we've talked about a lot of cool stuff today. And we have a lot of cool content coming up from me and Tim uh, in the future, especially on the next episode, which we'll, we'll be actually be doing, spoiler alert, a little uh, 
chat with Live Breathe Football. If you don't follow them, I would 100% recommend checking them out. Um, but as always, thank you guys for listening to our episodes, to uh, me and Tim kind of going on a little hour-long rant as always. I hope you guys enjoyed the epi. <laughs> Uh, as always, you can as also kind of like set us in a, a DM or shoot us a message if you guys have any talking points that you guys want to listen to on the next episodes or if you guys want to be guests, feel free to message us at any time. Um, obviously, please follow any of our social media. So you can follow me directly at PLUVentino on Twitter or, or you could follow our Top Bins Twitter page at uh, top underscore bins or our Instagram page, which Tim has been doing a killer job of running lately. Uh, at Top Bins Talk on Instagram. Uh, Tim, what is your at if anybody would like to get in contact with you? Well, if anybody uh, wants to be so unlucky as to have a conversation with me on Twitter, I am at Footy Kuji. That's K-U-J-I, at Footy Kuji. Uh, and again, if you're trying to catch us on Instagram, we are on uh, at Top Bins Talk. Uh, and yeah, I mean, just a pleasure as always to be able to share the news with everybody. And uh Hope we get to share some more cool stuff going forward. Yeah. So th- again, thanks. Thank you guys uh, so much for the um, awesome support we've had over the last few weeks, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Peace.